Hello and welcome to Sports by Northwest. I'm Bill Orem, sports columnist for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. A lot to get to today uh, on, the, on the show. We have Jackie Stiles, the former Portland Fire star who um, was for a long time the leading scorer in women's college basketball and whose career was abruptly ended by injuries. She has a new documentary out. She'll be joining Joel and I in a few minutes. But Joel, uh, Joel Odom, sports editor at The Oregonian, I first want to talk about what's been the dominant story in Portland this week, which is the Sally Yates report related to the NWSL and, and women's soccer, the culture of abuse within within the sport and the prominent role the Portland Thorns have played in that. And then the, the subsequent decision to... Uh, by Merritt Paulson, the owner of the Thorns and Portland Timbers, to fire his top two executives. Joel, can you remember a week in Portland sports? I mean, you've been you've been in this role for a long time. Can you remember a week in Portland sports that felt as consequential as this week? It's definitely been a a big, significant week on the sports front, no doubt. Um, comparing it to another week. Gosh, I mean, you know, there there have been big stories that we've covered, but but mm-hmm. yeah, this is this this has been massive this week, and obviously, you know, a lot that was you know re- revelatory in that report, and it's just it's been you know it's been interesting. The fallout has has not exactly played out the way that I would have predicted that it would. What's what's been your take on on the fallout? Um, I I think it's probably gone fairly. I mean, obviously, like. In, you know, up close, there have been kind of wrinkles that have surprised me, but I, you know, when when I first read the report and the latest allegations about Gavin Wilkinson and his handling of the immediate aftermath of firing Paul Riley, who, I mean, I assume most listeners are are up to date on this story, but Paul Riley was the coach who was accused by uh, a Thorns player in 2015 of sexual coercion and, and leveraging playing time and, you know... Uh, practice you know, run you won't run sprints if you if you kiss your teammate in front of me um sort of stuff i mean just really grotesque uh, vile behavior um the, but gavin wilkinson the general manager uh who then went on to you know advocate for paul riley to get his next job within a matter of months when all that came out i felt there was no choice but for Merritt paulson to fire him that was to me just crystal clear and he ultimately did that but the twists and turns it took for him to get there I thought were really disappointing on the part of Merritt Paulson in that he basically did whatever he could to avoid having to do that, which has been kind of his, you know, which has been his default this whole time. And, you know, even as recently as Tuesday, his, his immediate response was to have Gavin Wilkinson, along with the president of business, Mike Golub, and then himself, Merritt, recuse themselves from Thorne's operations while continue to work Timbers operations, which doesn't functionally make sense. It would be like me saying, I'm going to recuse myself from writing from Oregon Live, but keep writing for the Oregonian. They're one and the same. It's just the same thing. So um, that to me was uh, a red flag that this was not being taken seriously enough inside those walls. And and so there was um, accountability finally, I guess, at least as it relates to those two uh, men, Mike Golub and Gavin Wilkinson, but not enough. I mean, I'm firmly on the side of Merritt Paulson needing to sell the teams and whatever pressure can be applied, needing to be applied to get him out of there. Um, Joel, you read the report, as did I, or at least certainly the relevant portions, the relevant sections to um, what has happened in Portland. 
it's all alarming, but was there one detail that surprised you the most or kind of rocked you the most? Well, it's tough because, you know, the, you know, a lot of the um, accounts of what these players allegedly, um, you know, had to go through there, it, it felt like we sort of knew, you know, around the edges, at least a lot of that stuff previously. So it, in terms of what was new from the report, you know, I, I thought it was probably most surprising, you know, the new details about both Wilkinson and, you know, Paulson having sort of vouched for Riley after he's already left the thorns and is right. and on as a new coach with the Western New York flash. It, it just, that was, that was pretty, pretty shocking to me. Well, and because when Riley leaves the thorns in 2015, the club sends out a statement saying that he has, you know, they've parted ways and, and then thanks him for his service, making it seem like it's an amicable parting, making it seem like it's, you know, based on the results, you know, the thorns had, had been down a little bit, not nothing that indicates that he has been fired uh, for something unrelated to what's happening on the field. And that sort of sends up your, you know, antenna, like, you know, well, did they really take the allegations all that seriously? Or did they really feel like, you know, he'd done something wrong. And th- and then what came out in this report was so consistent with that statement. And after the internal investigation came out earlier this year, I mean, late summer, um, or we learned more about that report, the DLA Piper report, um, the indication was that, um, that Gavin Wilkinson gave a positive review on Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Correct a positive review on Paul Riley to the Western New York Flash because he was instructed by legal counsel to limit his review to soccer. And so because he was bound by the constraints of only talking about soccer, he had no choice but to give a positive review. Even though the team had indicated the reason he'd left was that the team wasn't performing well enough. But okay, fine. Logical fallacy. But what came out in the in the newest report and this the most exhaustive and significant report, obviously, um, from the U.S. Soccer Federation headed by Sally Yates, was that he not only didn't limit it to soccer, but he then, when it, when discussing the um, the circumstances, in fact, blamed Mana Shim, the player who had brought these allegations to the club, by saying the player, meaning Mana Shim, put Paul Riley in a bad position. It is simply deplorable. And... <laughs> You know, that's that to me was the most fireable. I mean, it's been fireable for the whole time. But like as soon as that was outlined in the report, I I thought Gavin Wilkinson should have had his badge removed and been escorted out of the building that moment. The fact that it took 36, 48 hours is just astonishing to me. That was the, you know, the wrinkles, as you mentioned, that that was sort of what I had had meant in terms of how the fallout has played out. Mm. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah. You know, the wrinkles of of, you know, first saying that the top executives were going to, you know, recuse themselves. And then one day later uh, that, that, you know, two of the three in the top leadership were, were fired. Uh, so Bill, we, we talked with Jackie Stiles, uh, yeah. the, the great uh, former Portland fire player. Uh, and it was a, you know, a fun conversation Tell me, you know, tell me about, I, I think that uh, maybe you get into this a little bit in our conversation, but, you know, tell me your, some of your favorite memories of Jackie, because uh, you were a teenager when you were watching, watching her play for the fire. Is that, isn't that right? 
Yeah, and you know, Jackie Styles was always just the coolest. Like I think I, you know, became aware of her when she took Southwest Missouri State to the Final Four, I think in 2001. Uh the Fire were, you know, a really new WNBA franchise. The uh, they draft Jackie Styles to Portland. And that was just sort of a continuation of watching her, you know, in the in the in you know, on that tournament run, coming to Portland and playing in the WNBA. Uh, a, a really fast, just a fascinating figure because she was, you know, she was this sensation. And you go through um, and look at her at her past, and there's this there's a new documentary out about Jackie Styles, or a relatively new documentary out about Jackie. It's called the Jackie Styles Story. It's streaming in a lot of places, and will be screening at the Portland Film Festival next week, which was sort of our excuse to get on the horn with Jackie and talk to her about her her career and her life since her playing career. But you go back to her life, her early days in Claflin, Kansas, a small town in Kansas. She scored 71 points in a high school game in three quarters. She averaged 45 and a half points a game in high school. Um, she had a following that rivals, you know, any celebrity being dropped into a small town. You know, the lines that you see outside of the high school gym she almost is this sort of mythic figure, you know, this, it almost couldn't have been as great as, as you remember. And then you revisit these great moments where she's beating Duke to get to the final four. There's a, a game where she, you know, scores 50 points to beat Baylor on a four point play in college. Um, just this incredible legend whose career is cut incredibly short by injuries. And Jackie gets into this, um, in the in the interview, and I'm I'm really excited for people to listen to it. But she, um, you know, the injuries that she had, um, and it just really speaks to kind of where we were as a sports world then. I mean, it was the earlier days of the WNBA. Um, she described having a broken wrist, a a torn rotator cuff, and a partially ruptured Achilles tendon at the start of her second year with the Fire and playing through all of that. So that is, you know, and then that essentially was the end of her career as a, as a high-level player. Um, but uh, she, you know, has a certain place, I think, in the history of Portland sports. She was the rookie of the year and an all-star as a rookie with, with the fire. And then at the end of her second year, uh, the fire closed up shop and folded. And that sort of coincided with the end of her sort of peak. Um, but she was a wonderful person to talk to. Joel, I mean, I, you know, what stood out to you? I mean, we're going to get in, the interviews coming up in just a minute, but what did what did you leave that interview feeling or thinking about after after we talked to Jackie? I think it it left me thinking of what could have been. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. we talked a lot about uh, how some of her contemporaries uh, are just now leaving the WNBA, yeah. and, and it's you know really really unfortunate that that injuries cut short uh, the career of this of this just dynamic you know, player, um, who was such an, you know, such a, a cool underdog story really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, excited for people to, to hear the interview. And I, I mean, I, I just, but I, cause there's some things that did, we didn't get to in the interview. I mean, first of all, great nickname, the ponytailed assassin. And she actually, and this is in the documentary, the Jackie Styles story, people should check it out. Um, she signed a letter of intent to go play at UConn for Gino, Gino Oriema. And then she slept on it and she, ripped it up and signed to go to Southwest Missouri State. So when we talk about her going to the final four, it wasn't like she went to the final four with, you know, UConn or Duke or, you know, a school that you're accustomed to seeing in the final four. She took Southwest Missouri State to the final four. 
It's really incredible stuff. She's was a wonderful guest for us. It was so fun talking to her. So without further ado, Jackie Styles. For nearly two decades, Jackie Styles was the all-time leading scorer in NCAA women's basketball, the number four overall pick of the Portland Fire of the WNBA in 2001. And now she is the latest guest on Sports by Northwest. Jackie Styles, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So, Jackie, we're talking to you today because uh, you are the subject of a documentary that is out and is available uh, for streaming in many, many places that tells your remarkable life story, the story of your career, and will be showing at the Portland Film Festival next week. And I will just say personally, I'm thrilled that we have this excuse to talk to you and talk about your career because I was, let's see, 2001, I was probably like 15 years old when you went to the Final Four. And I had a basketball hoop in my front driveway. I was from a small town like you. Uh, much worse at basketball than you, but I was, I remember watching you guys go to the final four that run and I would grab my dusty basketball after your games and go out and, and shoot in the front driveway and pretend I was Jackie Stiles. Like that is, so just so we can like fully kind of convey the scope of your impact, you know, you know, women's basketball was, you know, had not quite gained the, the cultural footprint it has today. You know, the WNBA was still a, a league in its, in its early stages and you were one of the very few early, you know, cross, you know, cultural uh, influences in women's basketball. And so it's a thrill to talk to you. Um, and then, you know, for me again, then you got drafted to, to the Portland Fire, um, you know, coming and playing just a couple hours from my hometown. So first of all, that's my like caveat and my, um, my disclaimer about my experience watching you. But I want to start at the beginning because you were a sensation in your own hometown. In the documentary, you see these long, 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 long lines of, you know, of fans lining up to see you play high school games in, in Claflin, Missouri. What was it like to be a star in your hometown at, at such a young age and have that level of uh, fan support? Well, it was wild. And, and what's even more wild that there's been a movie done about my life. I, it's, it's just hard to fathom. I never, I mean, my wildest dreams thought when I started playing, uh, that, you know, things like that would happen. But, uh, you know, growing up in Claflin is a huge reason um, why I'm here today. I mean, the way that my town supported me and everything I did, uh, it just pushed me to be that much better because I wanted to make them proud because they were so involved. I mean, I remember when I made a USA team, they raised money uh, for me to go overseas and different things. So they were always just with me throughout my career. And, uh, you know, it drove me to even do better, but uh, I'm so thankful for where I grew up in my small town. Kansas. Sorry, my mistake. There's a story from your high school days when you broke your, uh, had a broken right hand, right? And you, yes. and you, and you played left-handed and averaged 25 points a game playing left-handed. How did you do that? And what was kind of the motivating factor that allowed you to still play at such a high level when you were playing with your offhand? Yeah, so that was... Um, you know, a really tough time for me because I'd never missed a practice or a game. And I was devastated when I broke my wrist. It was like the third game of my sophomore season. So I sit out four weeks with a hard cast past my elbow. And I convinced the doctor to let me play the second four weeks with a soft cast where I still couldn't straighten my arm. And so in those four weeks, I taught myself how to solely play left-handed. I just lived in the gym with my left hand. Um, I played left-handed. Uh, you know, it was frustrating at times. Uh, but then I got the cast off right before playoffs. And my whole goal in high school was I wanted to win a state championship more than anything. And after coming out of that cast, my shot was a little inconsistent, you know, because I'd lost some muscle mass. And I literally had the worst performance of my career and we're at the semi of the state tournament. We win the game. We're playing for the state title. And 
this was a lot, a lot of years ago. I won't tell you how many, but I'm dating myself right now. But I literally remembered it because I, I was four out of 21 and we only lost by a few points. And um, at that moment, I was just devastated. I was crushed. And it would have been so easy for me to walk away from the game of basketball and say, you know what? I don't want to invest this much time. But actually, I said, no, I want to even be better than before that injury. And that's where I vowed to make a thousand shots every single day. And I did that for my sophomore year in high school till my freshman year of college. And, you know, whenever you're trying to accomplish something great, it's not if you face adversity, it's when. And you have to find a way to turn it into a positive, even though it's so difficult going through it at the time. But I look back at every adversity I've ever faced you know, I'm grateful now on the other side of it because, you know, it just shows you um, what you're made of. And, you know, you learn and you grow so much when you go through those difficult times. And that's something you obviously, you know, encountered throughout your career. Injuries became, unfortunately, a huge part of your story, um, essentially right when you got to Portland. And I'm skipping over a whole lot of of history here. But what was what were what were your early impressions of Portland and, and coming here? I mean, obviously, um, you know, Claflin, Kansas to, you know, Southwest Missouri State in Springfield, Missouri, and bam, you're in Portland, Portland, Oregon in the Northwest, um, a, a new WNBA franchise, a new WNBA league. What do you remember about those days? I'll never forget the moment my name was called because, you know, you're sitting in a room. Um, I, I went to New York for draft day and, uh, you know, you're just like, OK, where am I going to live for the next however many years? <laughs> and uh, I was so grateful uh, when I got uh, called by the Portland Fire and man, did the community just um, take us in with open arms. Uh, they made it so um, comfortable for me. I mean, the community was so welcoming. Uh, the Blazers franchise, um, they just, the way they did things was a class act. And it was just so disappointing that we, I only got two years there because um, I felt like the Portland fire was, you know, just a, a great thing. And, and Portland and, and the community made it so special. So I always have such fond memories from my two years uh, playing for the Portland fire. Jackie, what are what are some of the things that you remember about being in Portland off the court, like uh, just around around the city and li and and living here? Well, you know, first thing, it's kind of funny, but uh, I never realized what traffic was truly like, uh, you know, coming from Springfield, Missouri. And I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to miss my first game because I had no idea how long it was going to take me to get to the Rose Garden. Uh, I, I believe I was living in Lake Oswego and I had to get to, you know, the Rose Garden. And, yeah, it took a lot longer than I, I expected. Um, but after I, I got adjusted to that, uh, man, it's just uh, – the culture, the people, everybody was just so friendly. And um, I, I love that about uh, Portland because, you know, I've been back east and it's it's a little bit different environment. But, man, everybody's just so uh, um, just kind and um, welcoming. And that's the thing I remember the most is the people. Your uh, injuries um, kind of caught up with you. I, I think it's fair to say it by the end of your second year um, when you really, you know, kind of had to take a step back from the game also coincided with uh the the fire uh folding as a franchise and portland obviously hasn't had professional women's basketball since since then which it's back in the news now there's some hope of a another expansion team here in the near future but um as you reflect on those two years i know you said lots of good things about the blazers organization and, and their efforts to you know bring the fire here why do you think that team did not work well, I heard at the time, and I don't know if this is true, um, that they restructured how each team was funded and they made the owners uh, 
you know, do the funding um, of the team. And it was just then that uh, the owner of, uh, you know, the Blazers did not want us. And that's why we folded because we had one of the best attendances of anyone um, in the league. Um, so, you know, I, I know it wasn't anything to do with that. And I don't know if that's true, but that's what I'd heard. And that's why um, we folded. But yeah, it was a, a very sad moment when I got that call that the Portland Fire would no longer exist. One thing that struck me, you know, in the documentary and and everything is is the passion that you had for being the best. You know, I think you said when you were in second grade, you had decided you wanted to be the best to ever play. Um, I have a 13 year old son who loves basketball and I'm a little and he's very competitive as well. I'm a little afraid to, to show the documentary to him uh, to, <laughs> to see if, how many shots a day he would he would want to get up in the gym. But what advice would you would you have for young basketball players who, you know, are coming up and and want to be really good in their sport? Well, you know, I always say the number one key to my success, uh, hands down, definitely uh, was my work ethic. Um, you know, you cannot accomplish anything truly great without that. You know, it's going to be hard. You have to, you know, invest the time in it. Second thing is you have to truly believe in yourself and what you're trying to accomplish. And not only believe in yourself when the things are going good, but when things are hard and, and it, there will be hard times and difficult situations and, you know, maybe losing streaks, all those things. And you have to keep working and keep believing during those difficult times. And then the third thing and, and probably the most important thing is I would not accomplish any of this without so many incredible people that sacrifice so I could live out my basketball dreams. And it's surrounding yourself with those people that can help you get where you want to go. I mean, I mean, from my family, I was so fortunate. My dad was a coach um, and I followed him to the gym when I was young. And that's where I think that passion was created for me. And then, you know, I just had incredible coaches, incredible teammates all along the way. And I always say this, if, you know, if you want to be good, focus on making yourself better. But if you want to be great, focus on making those around you better as well because it, it takes a team of people to accomplish something special. And um, that that's what I get most when I reflect back on my career. And that's what I tell um, anybody that wants, you know, has big basketball dreams. Those are the three things that are so critical. The documentary, by the way, is the Jackie Styles story and is streaming in many places, in Amazon, Apple, um, you know, others, I'm sure, if you if you want to if you want to plug those. But one of the things that is, you know, just really interesting kind of about about your arc is you at your very height were, you know, you were the number four pick in the WNBA draft, took Southwest Missouri State to the, the final four. It's now Missouri State in Springfield. Um, and, you, you know, I referenced the the celebrity you had if the Beatles had ever gone to Claflin, Kansas. I don't know that they would have drawn as many people as you did for a, a typical high school basketball game. But the WNBA was a really new thing. Not you weren't there at the very beginning, but you were there in the early days. And over the last several years, especially, we've seen the WNBA get, you know, and, and women's sports in general. And Portland obviously has a great um, support system for women's sports. Like you experienced like the, the Portland Thorns soccer team experiences. But what were those early days in the WNBA like when, you know, now you turn on a WNBA game and you see NBA players sitting courtside and you see NBA players doing their interviews wearing the orange WNBA hoodie? You know, th there's kind of a cultural uh, support and movement in support of women's sports. Did you feel anything like that when you were playing or what, what was the um, what was the cultural impact you felt like 
women's sports had at that time? And, and what do you think maybe you missed? I remember it being um, very difficult as far as the travel at that time. And I don't know if things are different now, but this was after 9-11. And we flew commercially um, where, you know, the men uh, were chartered, you know, flights. And, and man, when you're playing four games in a week in different cities, and this is right after 9-11, and we had to be at security the minimum of two, two and a half hours before our flight. I mean, I just remember the fatigue and the exhaustion um, of our 30 game, you know, season in the summer. Um, that was one thing. Funny story. Um, we obviously don't make the salaries that the men do. And, uh, you know, we would get per diem when we traveled. And so we would get $100 a day. Um, and, you know, we would kind of try to eat cheap on the road to, to pocket some of that money. But we did stay in the nicest hotels, like the men, like we stayed in the Ritz and, you know, the W's and places that I didn't know I'd ever get to stay in. And so I'll, I'll never forget, I didn't eat right after the game because I just wasn't hungry. And then, uh, you know, we were in a Ritz and like, there's no way I'm ordering off room service, you know, just the cheapest thing would be probably like, you know, $50. And there goes my my per diem. And so um, our trainer would carry like protein bars and stuff like that. And so, you know, I went to her and a couple of my teammates were there and they're like, we're hungry too. There's a Wendy's not too far from here. And so we had the concierge uh, call us um, a, a cab. And well, little did we know that the Ritz doesn't allow cabs to come up to their entrance. And so they're like, ladies, your car is here. And we go out there and we take a limo and we go to the Wendy's late night window and order off the off the menu. Um, by the time we took a limo to Wendy's, you know, it would have been cheaper just to get the room service. Um, so that is a night I'll never forget. I ran into one of my teammates recruiting on the road one day and and that was the first thing she said to me she's like do you remember when we took a limo to the Wendy's so you know hopefully things are changed now uh just with the recognition and the league being around more but you know I'm grateful that we still have that opportunity and when girls are in second grade and they're dreaming about playing professionally they can actually play professionally in the U.S. unlike me I was like well maybe I can go overseas and play professionally because we didn't have it when I was uh you know, a second grader. So uh, I'm thankful that they have that opportunity and hopefully it continues to get better and better. Who are some of the players who you watch today at whatever level who, you know, perhaps remind you of yourself as a player? Well, um, I I love Steph Curry on the men's side, Uh, just with his size and the way he can create his own shot is just is phenomenal. Um, Kelsey Plum on the women's side, uh, she was the one that uh, actually broke my record. Um, and I'll never forget, I, I feel like I have a part in her becoming the all-time leading scorer because I just took my first college coaching job at Loyola Marymount. And my first game that I got to see was one of hers. And she was number 10. And I, I remember thinking, I saw myself in her, the way she could go to the rim, the way she pulled up in that mid-range game, and, you know, she could shoot the three. And I, I told my head coach, I was like, I got to call her. I don't know where she's at in the recruiting process, but I have to call her. And I said to her, I was like, I know I, you know, know me, and I, I never say this to most people, but I said, I'm the all-time leading scorer, and I want to help you break my record. So I feel like I put that in her head that that was possible. Now I didn't get to coach her, but uh, you know, I, I just, uh, she was phenomenal. And I, I'm glad that, you know, she's having the success that she is. Cause I know she's worked for it, you know, being the size, we're the same size, about five, eight. So, so those are a couple of players that I, I really love watching. I love pistol Pete back in the day, watching his videos. Um, I, 
I was a huge Michael Jordan fan, Larry Bird. So those are some of the players. Obviously, Cynthia Cooper, if you watched uh, the movie. Um, but those are some of the players that I've looked up to. Yeah, I mean, the film has you know some really incredible figures of, of of basketball royalty. You know, Cynthia Cooper, like you said, Roy Williams is in there. You know, Kim Mulkey's a Hall of Fame coach. She's in the film. You know, one one thing that I'm struck by is that your career, you had the, the first two years in the WNBA, 2001, 2002. Sue Bird was the number one overall pick in in 2002. So your second year, you guys would have overlapped by a year in the Northwest. The Storm obviously became an institution in Seattle. They've had tremendous success over the decades there. Um, totally a diversionary path for the Portland Fire. And and like we've alluded to, the injuries for you. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know how well you know Sue or, or any of that. I, but I do know you nearly went to UConn and would have played with her there. What was it like to watch her career? And on a human level, is it hard to not see that in a different universe, maybe you could have still been playing for many of those years and to have some regret of your own. Yeah. And, and I, I tell people, um, you know, I, I truly don't have any regret because with the knowledge that I had, you know, I thought that's what I had to do. And I, I tell people I could, you know, still be playing if I had the knowledge I have now of how to take care of my body. But it was just different back then, the way you recovered from surgeries. We didn't have things such as recovery and, you know, all of that. I mean, it just, it was just different. But, you know, yes, the one thing I probably wouldn't have done is played my second season. I convinced myself that I was healthy and I was literally playing with three things that needed surgery. A torn rotator cuff in my shoulder, um, a torn ligament in my right wrist, which is my shooting hand, and then a partially torn Achilles. And they were shooting me up with cortisone all through the year to get through it. It, it was miserable. Um, I probably shouldn't have played that year because I'd never recovered from it. But, uh, you know, um, I, I just felt the pressure, obviously. I, I so badly wanted them to be successful, the organization, because they believed in me. And it was just hard um, to know that my body's my corporation and I need to shut it down. You know, so that was probably my one regret. But, oh, man, I'm a huge Sue Bird fan. I got to play a USA basketball team with her, room with her a few times. Um, she's tremendous. And what she's done for as long as she has is absolutely tremendous. I can't imagine even playing a half court game right now, let alone playing at the level she has until she's in her forties. It's just remarkable. And, and, you know, everybody should celebrate her and her career. So you won't play a half court game anymore. You don't, you don't show up your, 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 your players. <sighs> no, it's, it's not near as pretty <laughs> as it used to be. And, and, you know, I can handle like in lifting weights and running and all those things, not being what it used to be, but it's really hard for me on the basketball court, you know, not being able to do the things that I'm used to doing. So I just don't really uh, play much anymore at all, or even really shoot around anymore at this point, because it, it just drives me crazy. So, um, you know, having my body not allow me to do what, you know, I normally used to do. And, and Joel, I'll tell you um, one last piece of advice for your son. Um, even if he makes it really far in athletics, Tell him that he needs to have another plan, all right, because I put all my eggs in one basket and I struggled. And even if you, you know, play college, um, there's a grieving process for when you can't play anymore because you invest so much time into doing that sport. And, you know, if, if you're lost without it at first and, you know, what helps is if you have that thing that, you know, is your next thing that you're going to be passionate about and you can put your drive towards and um, just always know that um, don't get yourself esteem from what you do on the court 
or on the field or any of those things. Um, it's all about, you know, who you are as a person and not what you do. And I, I learned that lesson the hard way. It was a struggle, you know, for me when I couldn't play anymore. So, so I would tell your son that, um, make sure he has a plan B and it's always about who he is as a person and not what he does. I appreciate that. So Jackie, what do you think people who take the time to watch this film, which everyone absolutely should do, the Jackie Styles story streaming, it seems like almost everywhere, right? Amazon, Apple, where else? Uh, yeah, Vudu, uh, Vimeo, um, Google Play. Yeah, just pretty much every platform you can think of. So, um, And also, it's at my website, JackieStyles.com. Um, I, I do have some people like the DVDs are old school and are wanting ones that are autographed. So you can get it there. Um, I also have a link to where you can get it digitally on my website at JackieStyles.com. So that's an, another way to find it. What do you think people will learn from the film? And what do you think, what do you want them to come away feeling if after, after they watch it? You know, I think the one thing about my story is like when, when everybody looks at me, no one's ever said to me, you must be a professional basketball player. I have never gotten that. I run camps to this day and I still kind of blend in with the campers. I'm so small and obviously I'm from a, a town of 600 people. Um, but if you have a dream and you're willing to work for it and, you know, you believe in yourself, you believe in that dream and you surround yourself with great people. I mean, truly anything is possible. And, uh, you know, that movie is a credit to so many people, um, throughout my journey that sacrifice so I could live out those dreams. And when I was asked, you know, Will I allow my story to be put out there for the world? Because you don't get paid from documentaries. I'm not uh, becoming a millionaire mm -hmm. from this film or anything like that because they want to keep the film authentic to the story. So you don't you don't get paid all this extravagant money. Um, but I thought, you know what? If I can help one person, you know, be better and, and do more, then it was uh, well worth my time. And so I, I hope people are inspired to to become the best version of themselves because I, I feel like our greatest legacy is every human life we can impact for the better. And so if it does that just for just one person, it was so worth it. So you've 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 spent some time as a college assistant coach in a few different places, Loyola Marymount, back at your alma mater. And you and you and you run camps locally, it seems like. What are your projects now? What are you what how have you been what is the next stage of of your evolution as a as a person who whose life is has been spent in basketball? I recently, you know, got out of college coaching after Coach Cole retired from her a Hall of Fame career at Oklahoma. And, you know, I basically had sold uh, three homes in two and a half years. And I was just tired of that. And uh, I felt like the college game has gotten to where I was spending a lot of time in things that I, I really didn't think were important for me and my core values. And, you know, I've really just feel like I've aligned with, um, you know, using my God-given abilities and talents to, you know, help the most amount of people. And that's through basketball lessons, camps. I'm doing that. I'm also doing some speaking. I'm a keynote speaker tonight uh, for the FCA. And I'm also starting a fitness studio that's a franchise called Next Gen Fitness um, because I also have a huge passion for fitness. When people ask, did I work out today? I said, well, do you, did you eat? Did you breathe? I mean, it's like that important for me. And so, um, you know, I'm excited to share my love and passion for fitness as well. So that's what I'm doing uh, these days. I have to ask, because when I think of, of you and your career, and I think one of the most like appealing things about watching you play or about your, about you being a, a basketball star is your name. I mean, Jackie Styles. Just it pops. It sounds it sounds like a basketball player's name, and it's fun to say. Do you think, in some part of the universe, 
that having a name that was fun to say and fun for people to to cheer and to and to say I'm here to watch Jackie Styles. Like, do you think that that in any way contributed to your maybe not your play, but to your um, your stardom? This is you know, like, I, I, this this is something I actually think about in my in my silly brain. That's something I think about. No, but Bill, you're you're on it because it, it's funny. Um, I've always said like, why doesn't anyone just call me Jackie? They're all like Jackie Styles, like, and they have to put this like ring to it. Like, it's weird for me to say my name, but um, but no, like even like my little basketball kids that are in my academy, <laughs> they're like, yeah, we're going to Jackie Styles today. I'm like, that's me, you know. Like, I mean, you know, I'm just Jackie, but it, it just it it does have a good ring. I give my parents credit; they did a great job uh, naming me. Um, so yeah, I, I think that has helped. But the craziest thing about this whole thing is, so my camps and things are bigger than they ever were. I mean, I started running camps when I was playing at Portland. I'm rookie of the year, and I have not had the attendance that I I do now. And it and it's it's weird because it's like become full circle where. It was the parents of their kids now that were fans and that, you know, did my workouts or looked up to me. And now they're bringing their kids. And it's it's just been wild. Like I never in my wildest dreams thought at, you know, 43, I'd be running camps and signing autographs. Like what? You want my autograph? You like who? How do you even know who I am? But it's just it's been wild. And I, I'm just I'm grateful for the opportunity and the platform to hopefully, you know, better these young athletes' lives. So um, I mentioned at the beginning that there is some movement toward um, getting another WNBA team uh, back in Portland. And you are the face of the team that was here before, um, short-lived though it was. And I want, and you know, that there's, you know, there are, there are members of government who are pushing for it. The Blazers have said they support it. There's ownership groups coming together. The WNBA has acknowledged that Portland is on a relatively short list of cities being considered. You said you had great fan support, a great experience. What would be your message to those who are considering Portland as a possible expansion site for, for the WNBA? It is a must. Oh my gosh. Portland needs it. I mean, I, I know obviously I'm biased, but I felt like our place had the best environment of everybody, anybody in the league. And I'm not exaggerating. And then also, you know, we were always a hit because, you know, Nike's headquarters are, you know, in, in the backyard and uh, they got to go to the Nike employee store. So, um, but no, uh, man, it, it, the Blazers organization, um, the community, Portland, all of it, um, tremendous class act and the way they do all the things that they do. And it's a must to get, you know, a WNBA team back there because they will support it and they will rally around it. Jackie Stiles, thank you very much for joining us on Sports by Northwest. Jackie Stiles. (laughs) I love being on with you guys. You gave me a boost, that's for sure. Going into my keynote speech tonight. Well, you can t- you can tell them you talked to Joel and Bill today, and it and it was the it was the boost you needed to get to get to get through your speech. So, we really appreciate it. I will for sure. I'll give you all a shout out. <laughs> Boy, that was a lot of fun, Joel. Jackie had some great stories, and obviously, uh, it's great to hear that she's uh, seems to be doing so well in life, and you know, continuing to influence lives with basketball. I will never be able just to say Jackie Styles. It will forever be Jackie Styles to me. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, when you first said that was great with Jackie, you know, you you, you missed it because we got to say Jackie Styles every time. But yeah, it was uh it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, thank you to Jackie for uh for um participating and, and and 
for 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 joining us. Thanks to Jackie Styles, and and if you uh, are around uh, later this month, check out the Portland Film Festival. Uh, the the Jackie Styles story will be uh, will be screening. Uh, it's also available to stream, as we mentioned. So um, you know, support Jackie and Jackie Styles and 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 the project. And um, thank you for supporting the Oregonian and Oregon Live by listening to Sports by Northwest. Continue to support our work uh, on on the other important stories. Certainly, what's happening with the Timbers and Thorns, also college football. Uh, you know, my colleagues and I have been really busy with all of that. So, thank you for listening. Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Leave us a nice review, five stars would be great. And you can continue to uh, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. <laughs>